Hello, listeners. I am David Blakeslate, and I am welcoming you to episode 120 of the Criterion Reflections podcast. That's one of those round number episodes. You know, we have to do something really special every time we hit like the the round numbers or the quarter marks or the century marks. So we've got a really special one. My my podcasting career has been building up to this moment as we talk about Larry Hagman's "Beware the Blob." Uh, Kind of an interesting uh, diversion here that we are uh, taking as we talk about a film that streamed on the Criterion channel for a period of time. I think it was one of their 70s horror bundles. And uh, since I have maybe somewhat foolishly dedicated myself to talking about all the films that are Criterion affiliated, we're uh, getting into this one here. It's not necessarily a bad movie. I have no animosity toward it, but uh, it's... it's um, well, it's it's a hodgepodge of things, and we're going to talk about it and get into it a little bit. Got a couple guests who have some familiarity with this film, and so we're going to hear their reactions and hopefully have a fun time as we uh, dissect the blob. Uh, let's first start by welcoming uh, Richard Doyle. Richard, welcome back again. Hey, good to be back. As always, it's nice to have you with me. And uh, here for his second appearance on this program is my friend Jim Tudor. Jim, welcome back to the show. It is my pleasure to be back, David. Thank you yeah, so much yeah. for uh, this this incredible opportunity to discuss Beware the Blob. <laughs> yeah, yes, this is the second consecutive film that we've talked about on the podcast. It has an exclamation point in its title. Uh, last time we talked about Shaft's big score. Yeah. Big score, yeah, with that, <laughs> with that uh, punctuation there at the end. Uh, also a sequel to a uh, somewhat surprising breakout hit. Uh, so that's one thing that these two films have in common. Although Shaft's big score took about 11 months to get uh, out in the theaters and uh, beware the blob. Took about 14 years. Um, of course, the blob, 1958, the big... Uh, uh, sensation breakout role for Steve McQueen uh, set him on an unlikely path to stardom uh, as he played a high school teenager when he was about, what, 28, 30 years old or something like that. Um, at, but they, at least. Know, at least, yeah. But The Blob is a bona fide Criterion Collection spine number. It's even been upgraded to Blu-ray. So uh, beyond just that little uh, blip that it appeared on the Criterion channel, uh, we can talk about Beware the Blob as having a, a, an actual criterion lineage, if you will. Uh, the common thread making the, these films two, two connected uh, things is uh, their producer, Jack H. Harris. Um, he owned the rights, um, and I'd like to hear some of your guys' thoughts on it. So, um, you know, Harris, Harris put this project together. It probably took him longer to cash in on the Blob's um, somewhat surprising success. I think it was made for a little under $200,000 and made $4 million, uh, in 1958. So that's some pretty serious cash, uh, in 1958 bucks there. Uh, so yeah, let's get into all things, the blob. Um, so let's just start with Richard. Richard, give me your kind of opening take here. Uh, you know, how much have you seen of this particular rendition of the blob and what's your thought about the, the franchise, if you will? I I saw this like maybe a decade ago on DVD and I wasn't very fond of it. But when I saw it on the list, I thought I actually am kind of fond of Jack Harris. That he, yeah. 
sort of come up once in connection with uh, Season of the Witch. So I mm-hmm. thought, mm-hmm. all right, I wouldn't mind coming and talking a bit about Harris because he's got other Criterion connections. Uh, That's right. Equinox. Equinox. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so so I, yeah. I watched this again and I hate this movie. <laughs> yeah, I hate it. Okay, I so really you hate this movie. <laughs> you you have hostility toward it. Okay, well that's gonna that's gonna balance out uh, what I think might be a little bit more amiable takes from uh, Jim and myself. So, <laughs> Jim, set it up for you. What's your uh, what's your opening take on Beware of the Blob? Well, I'd I'd reviewed this film in 2016 when the Blu-ray came out from Kino Lorber. Uh, it's a movie that had been lodged in my curiosity for decades prior Mm -hmm. uh, for very probably an obscure reason um you know i i I grew up in the you know christian evangelical church and i knew that several uh uh, christian rock stars Mm -hmm. uh, were in this movie and they they are i I guess you know maybe we can get to that later uh Mm -hmm. anyhow i i I'd re- heard tell of this and nobody ever seemed to want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> particularly that may be the a common rock, theme the rock. for other performers in this film too, but yes. uh, not to interrupt. Go ahead. Yes. No, no, it's fine. I, it's, you know, so um, anyway, when the opportunity came up to uh, snag a review copy, I told all my you know, fellow contributors to that site that, you know, you know, that one's mine. And I had a great time watching it and reviewing it with my kids, Mm -hmm. uh, just kind of doing the, the mystery science theater 3000 thing with it. Um, you know, just kind of, um, you know, rolling, uh, I mean, my goodness, it's ripe for that. Um, you know, just, just, uh, sitting back with this bit of absolute nonsense and, um, having a you know cutting up and maybe having a few drinks mm-hmm. um that's about i think that's really what it's for um and last night just re re-watching it um my kids some of whom watched it with me back in 2016 and then you know now they're teenagers came in and sat and watched it with me <laughs> and we had a blast yeah we really did well, that that's kind of a, a great lead into kind of my first and fundamental question: Why does this movie exist? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there there is the obvious angle that the Blob was a known property. Um, it had you know sort of a pop cultural resonance, like a lot of other kind of monster and sci fi movies of that era. Uh, the Thing from Another World. Uh, the war of the worlds, uh, you know, I mean, I could go forbidden planet. I mean, you know, all of, all the kids who had grown up in the fifties watching those kind of, you know, double feature matinees or, or the, uh, you know, TV, you know, uh, you know, the showings of the films on TV, you know, they, they kind of had it lodged in their brain, just like a lot of the young people nowadays have, you know, cartoons from the nineties and, and all the properties that the big studios throw out there, even, even Marvel and superhero films and, and all the other franchises that are out there seem to come from that same Genesis you know, that, you know, something I saw as a kid that was kind of cool and funky and weird, uh, let's let's revisit and go back. So, I mean, yeah. Let, what are your thoughts, you know, Richard? What what is the function? I, mean, I know that you kind of waved your hand when I said, "Why does this movie exist?" What is what is your uh, rationale? I can tell you literally why this film exists. Okay, because yeah. Jack Harris was had a beach house next to Larry Hagman. 
Yep. Larry <laughs> Hagman, Malibu, right? <laughs> yeah, Larry Hagman had never seen the blob, so he played a 16 millimeter copy of the blob for him. And Hagman went nuts and asked Harris if he was making a sequel to this movie. And Harris apparently had considered it and folded the project. And then when Hagman showed such interest in it, he revitalized the project. And Hagman got, took over the director's chair, like yeah. his only directing. Okay. Well, and we, this is the first mention of Larry Hagman, so let's let's maybe open up a little bit. But did you want to make another point there? No, I was just going to say. I mean, it seems to me that it's just a, the Blob again, pretty much, with mm-hmm. the kids, the teens, and that replaced with sort of hippies. And I think yeah. that that's the reason it exists. Like, let's do the Blob again, but let's try to tap into the uh, hippie market of the early seventies, make them the heroes of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, these this movie was apparently shot and originally scheduled for release in 1971, like in the winter of 71, but they postponed it really to get in on this summertime market, is my understanding. And you know, almost 50 years to the day. I mean, we're recording in mid-May. I think this was this was released in early June of 1972. So. Perfect fodder for the drive-ins, you know, it's not a movie you have to think about. It's a movie you can laugh at and just kind of, you know, zone out at at, at just how weird and bonkers it is. Jim, you want to add anything to that, uh, that basic uh, reason for this movie? Yeah, I mean, what Richard was saying, I mean, my understanding is that this film is cast with Larry Hagman's friends, which apparently Mm -hmm. was an allure to Jack Harris that Larry Hagman said, hey, look, I I know all these people that, you know, uh, would probably dig being in this movie, man. So let's, uh, (laughs) you know, just but but on the on the grounds that I directed Larry Hagman, of course, being uh, an actor from uh, I Dream of Jeannie. I, I Dream right. of Jeannie, yes. Yes, yeah. And that had had yeah. a, been a, like a five-year run, was a pretty big hit. I mean, he was definitely a very known face yeah. and personality. Uh, but, you know, like all TV shows, they, they have their moment and then they kind of fade away. And there's Larry Hagman, sure, you know, with some residuals and some time on his hands. And uh, it wouldn't it be a hoot to just pull out the camera and film a bunch of random crazy scenes, give uh, give my pals a chance to cut loose a little bit. And that does seem to be what we've got here is kind of yeah. a, a connection, a, co- a collection of improv comedy bits strung together with random appearances of this red gelatinous mass, a.k.a. Exactly. the blob. Hagman is, uh, I mean, he was apparently pretty insistent that he be the director. Mm-hmm. What, as you describe it, has to be the rationale, you know, that he just thought it'd be a hoot. I mean, otherwise, if he was trying to seriously develop a directorial portfolio here, (laughs) uh, you'd think he would at least have moved to have the camera in focus for large swaths of the movie. It's, It's literally, I mean, the field of focus is so soft and all over the place. I mean... I went to film school. I I've seen some stuff, man. This is, <laughs> this is right down there with it. <laughs> it is, is this like amateur hour as far as yeah. the, you know, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> it's so, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely amateur hour, but you know, the, uh, the improv comedy aspect that you bring up, I think is key. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of these, the cast is large. Um, you know, it's, it's a Robert Walker jr. And, and, uh, 
uh, what's the girl? Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about them. Yet. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, just uh, you, you know, there, I don't, you know, her name's not in front of me, so I don't have it, but uh, the guy playing the hairdresser, He's in it for one scene. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, Shelly Berman, yeah. Shelly yeah. Berman, yeah. Improv comedy mm-hmm. bits, um, you know, with these, you know, major, back then I would assume pretty, you know, well-known or fairly well-known comedy actors. Yeah. There's a there's a poster. Well, go, go ahead, Richard. I was just going to say, Berman would have been well-known. Godfrey yeah. Cambridge would have been well-known. Right. And Burgess Meredith shows up. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's there's um, you know, there's a poster that I have in the show notes. It's a vintage original release poster and it's got Robert Walker, Godfrey Cambridge, uh, Carol Lindley. She was a pretty well-known yeah. famous, very cute yeah. blonde. I think she was mm. on Peyton Place and some other programs, is that right? Uh Shelley Berman was kind of a 1950s stand-up comedian, had one of the best-selling comedy LPs uh, inside Shelley Berman. And then Larry Hagman, who we already talked about. So those are five faces that are like yeah. right at the top of the poster. Go ahead. Del Close mm-hmm. uh, is one of the, um, I don't know that he's credited. Del Close and Burgess Meredith are there with Larry Hagman as yeah, the, the three, uh, I don't know what they are, drunken uh, farmhands that night who decide to challenge the blob with a pitchfork. <laughs> as, as the trailer <laughs> makes a great point of, of pointing out. Witness Larry Hagman and his friends take on the blob with a pitchfork. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's right there. And of course, Larry Hagman goes on to be the star of Dallas, which brings us to the, the, you know, they re-released this movie, I guess, trying to cash in on that. And the tagline, you you know about this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. The tagline is the the film that Jr. shot. Yes, <laughs> right, yeah. right when that was the the buzzword yeah. around the, the world, really in exactly. the eighties. Yeah. yeah, early eighties. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Of course, this film's nineteen seventy two. So who, yeah, who but could it, have known? But who could have known? But it's it's you know it's 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 there for the asking, and I'm sure yeah. just getting this in re release was you know another you know, another lining, uh, to Jack H. Harris's bank accounts. You know, he had these properties. He's, he's not like a prolific producer. I looked up his credits. There's about a dozen or so films, but you know, the eyes of Laura Mars, um, uh, we are, you know, we talked Dark about Star. Equinox, Dark Star. Yeah. He got help John Carpenter get a start. So, you know, and there, there are some other people on the crew here. Maybe we can talk a little bit about the production who who went on to do some pretty impressive things so as a as a relic of of uh you know early 70s somewhat independent filmmaking uh there's a lot of interesting paths that cross that pull this project together go ahead richard i was gonna say dean cundy is Mm -hmm. one of the special effects guys on this right pretty impressive not the cinematographer but What's well, this animal animal sequences? Dean yeah. Cundy. It was like, what is that? The, the cat the and cat the, and maybe the, f- the cat, maybe the barnyard animals, the, the fly. fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there is an impressive shot there early on. Uh, when we first, the blob is first accidentally released. Uh, a fly lands yeah. near the lands on the blob and somehow, you know, gets pulled down into it. And I'm thinking, that right there, that that's probably the most complex shot in this movie in some ways, you know, because how do you, how do you, you know, somebody, how do you train a fly? To- exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I think they, did. they murdered that fly guys. I think this, a fly died in service of this film. Maybe the fly yeah, maybe. was crawling out and they just reversed the loop. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe. 
They starved yeah. that cat too. Oh, <laughs> like that cat was pretty eager to eat. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about that cat. Oh my gosh! Well, and then the when movie... the blob falls down, the cat's reaction. I mean, I'm like, I'm empathizing with this cat. It's like, yeah. it's puzzled. It's not like shocked and running away. It's like, what's going on here? The cat is a kitten. It's his it Watch the doctor's agent. This cute little kitten is the opening credits of this movie for some reason. Mm-hmm. And, it sets and, the tone, right? Yeah, I mean, frolicking, we're... <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, this sets the tone. Uh, this frolicking, cute kitty that no one could resist filming, I guess. And and of course, then it pans up, and we meet our first two victims, uh, mm-hmm. besides the kitten. Uh, spoiler alert uh, for the animal sensitive viewers. Um, yeah, yeah. He he gets a paw. You know, the, a paw gets blobbed, and they spare oh. us the rest. I mean, this is yeah. not this is not a movie that revels in gore. I think probably Godfrey Cambridge gets the the worst of it. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I think he's, so. He, he's blobbed all the way up to his neck. Yes, he is, and and his wife uh, is the most lucid character in the film, <laughs> who is killed in the first five minutes as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know he is not Godfrey Cambridge. Um, you know, he's know a, he, he's a pipeline worker. We get this in a, you know, garbled piece of dialogue where he comes back and he's, you know, gives her a hug. Oh, it's good to be back. You know, and he brings back this canister, doesn't he? Right. Mm-hmm. Frozen, it, you know, yeah, keep frozen. frozen he, right, he, right. He was out working on the pipeline that, that nobody, nobody wants. Uh, she mentions. Yeah, I don't know if that's a little political commentary or what, but that just flies right by. Mm-hmm. He, he he has this canister that he found. And of course, when you find an, an odd sealed canister in the pipeline, what do you do? You bring it home, right? You <laughs> set it on the kitchen sink and then you and then you file into the other room and you start to, you know, drink some beers. But the way this guy drinks some beers, yeah, he, he takes a he he's got a jar, right? This this like you know sixty four ounce enormous square jar, and he starts pouring cans of beer in that, and he's just drinking straight from this giant jar in a full on canvas camping tent that is yeah. pitched in his bedroom in in the living room. This is never explained. No, what no. what in the world, guys? He's going fishing, but was this a thing back in 1972 that I don't know about? Charitably, I'm thinking he was getting his equipment ready to go fishing because she says he's going fishing, but I don't know why you yeah. pitch the whole tent in the living room. Yeah, <laughs> airing it out a little bit there, you know. <laughs> yes, yes, and Miller High Life must have contributed something for the product placement because it's featured prominently uh, throughout yeah. the course of the film. Yeah, it gets run over uh, several times. Uh, cases yeah, of yeah. Miller High Life later by other characters. Uh, you know, cases of beer being loaded in and out of backs of cars in the street, and then you know, yeah, well, cartons. that's yeah, that's yeah. our protagonist. That's the Robert Robert Walker and Gwen Guilford is her name. Um, Gwen Guilford, thank you. She, she's the she's the young lady who she's apparently the mother of Chris Pine, the actor. Oh wow! In Star Trek, uh, the, the the Star Trek reboot, which is interesting, and she's also apparently uh like a, a counselor or therapist in uh you know the kind of the hollywood southern california scene there so you know she did a little bit of acting but uh kind of moved on to other things go ahead richard that's a strange connection because robert walker jr is best known for star trek yeah from the original right yeah. so yeah, yeah you've got a very fascinating through line that he was was in the season one or the pilot something yeah, like that so kid charlie the 
Yeah. So they are kind of like the the stand-ins for the Steve McQueen character and whoever his girlfriend was. Which, yeah, did any of you guys watch the original Blob recently? I, I did watch both Blob, both, you know, the original and this one, just to kind of do a little prep for this. But I I kind of decided early, and I'm not going to dedicate a whole lot of brain power to this. I'm basically just going to roll with it, and uh, you know, maybe just riff on some of the oddities as we've been doing so far. Um, Richard, I'd like to hear a little bit more of your negative take on the film. You'd really don't like it. I understand there's a lot not to be impressed by, but give me uh, me your (laughs) your hostility. Here's my charitable take on this film. I, I, I think, I think this, there was a screenplay and I think it must've been horrible because the writer complained that Larry Hagman ignored it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and it's clearly ignored. Yeah. Clearly. I think if this movie plays, if you, if this isn't a drive-in, I understand it because people aren't really paying much attention to the movie. Right. Right. And it's, if it has some interesting things to look at while people are sitting in their cars, it's probably okay. Sitting in my basement trying to watch this, (laughs) it's like, it's not only clearly improvised, it's, it's like nobody really had any idea what they were doing before the camera started to roll. Like they had the vaguest ideas. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of amusing, but it's also takes 10 minutes to accomplish anything in it. Right. <laughs> so I'm sitting watching people, yeah. people yammering at them at each mm-hmm. other. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sorry. Well, that terrible score goes on. The, the oh, yeah. Keyboard meandering keyboard <laughs> score. My wife came downstairs and said, I could tell that you were watching something horrible because I could hear that score. <laughs> they really needed yeah. to get back to the five blobs of the original. The, uh, yeah, yeah. Beware of the blob. It oh, that's a hit single right there. Yeah. It uh, wasn't Bert Bacharach, the five blobs. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was the yeah, songwriter there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, you know, they could have done a hippie update of that you know come on you know but no this music man well and you and you do have you have actual musicians randy stonehill larry norman as you've already mentioned jim they could have come up with something you know something that would have given them a little royalty there but but i do agree these these improv bits you wonder did they do more than one take or did they just shoot something and call it a day it really feels like they just you know it was kind of this uh indulgent you know we're so cute we're so clever we're so funny we'll just throw it up on the screen there and people will just go for it you know or or not even if they don't even if they think the movie sucks it's going to get in the drive-ins it's going to generate its share of box office and and that'll be that the star power of larry hagman driving it in the (laughs) drive-ins so i'd say you know if you get to anything like that any actual plot of the movie I, I just know it's a rehash of the blob. Like it's not a different oh, yeah. plot than the blob, right? So it feels right. like there's not much here, right? <laughs> well, when when you know the again the hairdresser scene is is gold. Uh, okay. know, Shelley Shelley Berman. I don't know the 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 hair the, sculptor. Uh, yeah, he the hair sculptor. Us. Yes, you know the teenager walks in there with a just positively Neanderthal mop yeah. on his head, right. and you know asks. You know, do you, do you, do you cut hair? You know, it's like ah, oh, I'm more than that. I'm I'm an artist. I'm a yeah. hair sculptor. You know, yeah. and you know how much does a haircut cost? Four hundred dollars. 
Yeah, four hundred dollars. <laughs> okay, yeah. you know, I mean, and then again, like Richard saying, this goes on for ten minutes before we finally get to the inevitable blobbing of the place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and of course, yeah, when the when the goop really, kind of you know leaps yeah. up through the drain in the sink there, that 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 did elicit a laugh i thought that was just kind of oh sure goofy. and that's i think yeah. in every blob movie right every blob movie has a did that happen in the original blob because it sure sure happens in the 88 remake also yeah, I, can't, with, uh, I can't remember if there was a like a drain pipe thing but obviously yeah but how the blob gets in and how it oozes through various openings is a big part of the appeal this this slimy goopy gunk i mean uh watching the blob roll up the bowling alley you know in this one here or through the uh the projection room in the cinema in the original i mean it's just kind of this you know playing in the mud kind of takes you back to being three or four years old and squishing play-doh between your fingers it's the, that kind of tactile uh you know uh, just that sensation does anyone know what the blob material utilized in this movie actually they, is they had a few different substances i think there was some silicon and there were some of it was just like big plastic bags full of right. red goop that they would roll around. Some of it was yeah. like actually hardened and it was literally would just roll along to give uh. the sensation of the blob advancing on its target. And then there were other scenes where it was like, you know, the red lights, you know, or projections. So you didn't really see the blob, but you saw something that was like the aura of the blob, you know, presumably behind whatever, wherever the camera was pointing. Yeah. Occasionally, it's very liquid too. Yeah, like yeah, one or two shots, it's like some looks like it's only water or something. Yeah, yeah. Whatever yeah. the screenplay needs the blob to be, the blob will be that. It is. Well, the yeah, most and there's style <laughs> cast member. Well, and when you think about how big it had to be to fill all, you know, like ten lanes of a bowling alley, that that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, I was looking at that. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. a few thoughts on that. There's this. There are shots like at the end. It culminates in this bowling alley, and mm. and the blob pours through from the back into the you know into the alley, into the lanes, yeah. and and it does it. We see this wide shot where all of a sudden, all at once, the blob pours through. Now, I'm noticing throughout this movie, the film, the cast is, I mean, the crew is very careful not to get blob gunk all over their sets in real life. You know, it's like everything is the blob is always this, you know, you look at how they're making this movie. It's in a plastic bag. Like you say, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not pouring this gunk everywhere. Um, You know, and yet here, all of a sudden this entire bowling alley gets engulfed. Is that a miniature? And if so, I'm impressed again, you know, forget about the fly getting sucked under all of a sudden we have, you know, a much bigger effort being put into this. If somebody constructed the miniature, uh, it's a, it's a halfway decent miniature. And then there's another one. And a few minutes later, uh, yeah. of the blob pouring through, um, there's no humans in that shot, which I would no. think if I was going to dump, do that for real, I would want to have an actor or two in the frame to sell it more, you know, and, you know, let them get <laughs> blobbed, you know, somebody, you know what I mean? 
yeah. I, I just don't know that that shot was real. Um, and I can't tell if it was a miniature or not. I think you're applying a higher production standard than the creators actually. Oh no, I'm <laughs> overthinking <laughs> this. Well, I can tell you one thing. I don't think the building they used was an actual bowling alley. Cause it, I know that building that they shot most of that in is lit also Jack Rabbit Slims in Pulp Fiction. Yes. What? Yeah. 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 Oh, <laughs> there's the connection. So I, I'm not sure that they shot much in an actual bowling alley, and that so that one might be a miniature. So wait, they would have built the whole bowling alley? I mean, they, you see the mechanism. There, there were two locations the, yeah. in the show notes. There's a couple different reviews that that have some of that trivia. Oh. Uh, one of them was a yeah. roller rink that was torn down. This was mentioned in the commentary track. It was torn down like almost yeah. immediately after. Uh, and that was the ice skating rink where, you know, the blob met its, you know, debatable end. But at least for the sake of this movie, <laughs> it got froze out and, yeah. uh, and the, you know, saved the day, except for that little bitty bit of the blob that was melted yes. by the spotlight and uh, gives us that Jack Harris question mark. <laughs> it's a combination bowling alley yeah. ice rink. Yeah, so this kind of a, a all-in-one, all yeah. yeah, 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 a funplex, <laughs> and and you know they, when the bowling alley gets overtaken, they run into the ice rink, you know, mm-hmm. um, where conveniently the blob's weakness is cold. See, yeah, yeah, the blob's weakness is cold, and the kids, the smart hippies, know that, but the well, the it, foolish authority figure adults don't and they think well the blobs in here we're going to burn it down it's like no yeah. guys no you fools do not light that fire That's the right. blob will thrive on fire and they you know yes. so, and then the uh, sheriff stands there for 15 minutes it seems like saying yes. get all the fire together get all the matches yes. can i have matches can I, uh, no no <laughs> cigarette smoking That's right no. <laughs> See, we just need to listen to the voices of the young yeah. generation. They will show us the way. <laughs> law, law and order. Till all hell breaks loose. And then, you know, every, it seems like every five minutes, someone in a uniform is running into the frame going, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just, when they don't know what else to do in this movie, someone runs in going, what's going on? I guess that's their way of appealing to yeah. the the kids in the audience. You know that that sort of generation <laughs> gap and the, the counterculture. I mean, there there is a lot of just fun seventies period detail. I guess you know my Ooh. wife and I were watching it last night uh, with the commentary track, and you know she really wasn't a, you know all that interested in the movie itself, but she definitely enjoyed that's the uh, the. Oh, yeah, she enjoyed the, the 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 wardrobes. You know that party scene definitely brought her back. Uh, these kind of fuzzy yarn hair ties that some of the women had. Uh, I I personally dug those clackers, those little hard acrylic plastic balls that would, you know, kind of shatter and poke kids' eyes out and all kinds of hazardous things happen. Yeah. But I remember in 71, 72, playing with those things as a kid myself. So I was like, oh, wow, hadn't thought about those in some time, you know, but that was a, a welcome sight. And, you know, there is. There's just a lot of fun, funky stuff if you're into that kitschy early 70s type of thing. Just said gorilla suit. Yeah. No, the gorilla suit is, uh, <laughs> there's a guy in a gorilla suit at the party. Yeah. And of course, yeah, it's a surprise party for yeah. Bobby, you know, the, the protagonist here, that's the, the guy in the gorilla suit. And, and let's be clear here. It is a guy in the movie. It's a guy in a gorilla suit, not a real It's not supposed to be a real gorilla. Right. The guy in the movie in the gorilla suit is very committed to this, to this, uh, gorilla bit. 
It's Garrett Graham. Yeah. 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 Even even when he's got who a, is his, who is Gary Graham? Give me Garrett some... Graham. He's in oh, a bunch Garrett of Graham. okay. It's oh, the second oh. week second week in a row I get to say this. He's in a bunch of really Brian De Palma films. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh. He's in the, he's in the Phantom of the Paradise. He's in uh, Sisters. Um, he yeah. was a, he was a comedic actor. I think he was on that show Fridays for a while. Oh, classic. Yeah, I mean it, the 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 pretexts are so flimsy as to why we go from one scene to another. Then the, you got right. Dick Van Patten and the and the Cub Scouts. Oh, you know, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say the Cub Scouts. They have the clackers. That's when we first yeah. see right. those clackers. Yep. You're talking about these toys, and, and they're and like then, right there, right right in full frontal of the screen. I mean, there's obviously a focus on them. I think they were right. kind of it's a phenomenon so- of the moment. Maybe, and maybe that explains why the same set of clackers is at the party, which in the world of the movie is completely unrelated. But, you know, of course, in the making of the movie, clearly they had a communal prop table and these things had already been on camera, but they Mm -hmm. got used again uh, (laughs) and nobody noticed or cared. Well, they were like um, when Rubik's cubes were a thing. Clackers okay. were just all over the place. They, they, okay. they really were. Everybody had one. <laughs> An audio nightmare. You think they could have figured out how to defeat the blob with the clackers? Then, <laughs> yeah, you know that that would have really been brilliant, brilliant that, move. There, that would have been too much of a setup and a payoff for this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these things are set up early on with the Boy Scouts. Dick Van Patten, you know. What was he? His chant when we first see the Boy Scouts hiking through the woods, and he's this very overly committed scoutmaster. And it's one, two, three, four. We're going on a hike. One, two, three, four. We're going on a hike. You know, and just starts yelling at them about wildlife and, and, and mustard plants, and you know, mustard plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then and then later, saying hello to the woman in the truck. <laughs> The, the the are we meant to believe there's a cutaway shot that is kind of uh, the saddest thing in the movie? You know, once the blob has started attacking people, we see the camera pan around the Boy Scout camp, and there are no Boy Scouts now, and and all we see is just their stuff strewn about, and we're meant to believe that the blob has 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 eaten consumed. the entire. Yeah, I consumed. I, the, I, yeah. I'm very glad you brought this up because I was worried that I'd like zoned out and totally missed where the blob had attacked the kids in the camp. Oh no. No, you you didn't miss a thing, sir. No. I think <laughs> because the blob got the kids? When did that happen? The blob got the kids, but the blob did not get no, the kids. No. Spoiler. The blob's because, only got Dick Van Pat. Yeah, because at the end when when the sheriff and his and his you know they're going to go burn down the ice rink, right? And you know, uh, amid the fray there is the whole Boy Scout troop just turns up. And, yeah. you know, they're there to help along with, you know, Larry Norman, uh, who is, for whatever reason, wearing the fireman hat and coat and Larry Norman's buddy. Who, and his uh, rainbow suspenders. Can't forget his, those rainbow suspenders. Yeah, rainbow <laughs> suspenders and cross necklace. Yes. Fair, <laughs> and, there is dialogue that establishes why they're wearing that. The sheriff tells them to put on a fireman's uniform. Oh, now I spaced that off. Yeah, yeah I now, yeah, my, my, my mistake. Yeah, yeah. It made any sense, but he, he did tell them to do that. Okay, okay, fine. I thought they were just like, oh, we could dress up as firemen too, you know, but no. <laughs> it's uh, all hands on deck. It's an emergency. We need it to. It is an emergency. Yeah, call in the Boy get Scouts. All, get all the good citizens doing their, their <laughs> deed, you know. Um, yeah, the dune buggy. That's another kind of early 70s yeah. throwback there. That was a pretty classic little little bit there i mean you know there are moments that i just yeah 
sort of latch onto and say, yeah, that that's fun. But yeah, uh, yeah the, 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 the parts do not cohere into a, into a meaningful <laughs> sum. <laughs> you <know>? Meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're asking it to be meaningful. Well, right? I'm just trying to think, you know, they, they spent 150 grand or so about the same budget on this film. Um, but I wonder where that money actually went. I, you know, my hunch is that, that these vignettes probably were done if not for free, but for relative pocket money, just on a lark, you know, give us one afternoon, maybe two days at most, do your thing, you know, it'll get you a screen credit, you'll get a little residual there. And and that was the appeal for the actors. But I think probably there had to be a little bit of money spent on some of the effects and some of the, you know, the, the, you know, the stuff that, you know, maybe that didn't look convincing, but it had to look like something. <laughs> and that's, that's where the, that's where the money went. Uh, I don't know that this movie did all that well. I, you know, probably wasn't expected to be, uh, the kind of breakout hit that the original blob was and, and why that film turned the business it did. I'm still not exactly sure other than maybe it was just a unique thing, uh, a fad that year, 1958, the, we had a lot more options. Youth had a lot more outlets to <laughs> get their kind of, uh, you know, their, their boundary their kicks. breaking. Yeah. Their kicks and, and their, their entertainment from a lot of different directions. This was kind of a cheesy throwback and you know, that's pretty much the, the extent. But they're of both it. trying to cash in on a certain youth culture zeitgeist mm-hmm. of the time. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think the first blob succeeds in that with its kind of, you know, evocation of the James Dean, uh, you know, uh, you know, Steve McQueen's character in that is right, right. clearly, you know, this and the adults who just in, don't understand and right, yeah, right. why don't they take us seriously, you know, and all of that, right. that was, you know, the whole teenager phenomenon was yeah. still relatively new, right? Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, and then we, you know, I guess Jack Harrison company think, oh, let's do it again. But now with the new thing, with the hippie thing, with the, and and uh, <laughs> by 1972, I think even that was tired. And and I guess yeah. to his credit, Larry Hagman seems to know it. Um, you know, just making this a goof off movie. Yeah, I think this must have made its money back since that that oh. budget's almost nothing. But yeah, the fact that he was consider he was originally planning a, a third sequel and it never happened kind of tells you that this couldn't have made enough money to bother. Well, yeah. I, yeah. didn't you want to call it ship off the old blob? <laughs> That's the title. Well, it was reissued as son of blob, Ooh, which is, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what it, I no, no, they never used ship off the old blob, but that was no, an intended right. title at some point, apparently. Uh, but yeah, the, the beware, beware exclamation point, the blob, as we know it, it was reissued as son of blob, yeah, which not- yeah. No, the, yeah. yeah in my, yeah. in my review, I say, you know, between the two titles, they're both grammatically incorrect, but maybe between the two, you can get one grammatically correct title out of them. <laughs> yeah. You know? The of and the sun one. Can... <laughs> and the, the, I, a guy who contributes to my site, uh, uh, Zeke film, uh, it, Justin Morey years ago when I reviewed this movie, uh, it wasn't really on his radar, but he was like, this is phenomenal. You know, he has a, you know, uh, an affection for movies that incorporate punctuation into the title. Oh, okay. Well, well extra, yeah. extra points for one that incorporates punctuation into the middle of the title. Yeah. yeah. You know, where beware the blob. 
with no punctuation. You know, that's that's an anomaly. Yes. That's why we're talking about this movie. People right? like this movie. Somebody like they really <laughs> legitimately liked it. Some a friend of mine told me this was one of his favorite movies at the time it came out. I decided wow. not to I decided not to engage. Yeah, yeah. Was but, he in it? No, he's not in the movie. He said he really liked the the, just the series of improv comedy skits, which might be the deciding factor here, because my problem is I sit in stone face silence at everything that happens in this. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and probably. Right. And and as a solo watch, you're right. Um, It it doesn't really offer a whole lot to engage with unless you're really a fan of busting up and laughing in the room by yourself yeah. if, if if this humor is up your alley but i do find the 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 odds and ends of the cast i mean burgess meredith you know the penguin in batman the tv series is my primary recollection that he was in rocky what are some other notorious uh or rocky. notable Bur- he had just won an academy award <laughs> for for what what did he win an no, no. Burgess Meredith won for uh, what am I thinking of the 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 oh, John right. Schlesinger film? Actually, I think he won just after this. Uh, Day of the Locust. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, and I right. Think that right. Was, I think that was right after this, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then Del Close, the other guy, is this mm-hmm. improv comedy icon who taught you know so many of the greats like bill murray and even tina fey and uh you know the list is so very long uh you know that that uh the admirers of del close uh and del close is in he has a bigger part in the 1988 remake of the original blob he he plays a i, I believe he plays a preacher in that mm-hmm. so um cool. yeah and and jack h harris did produce the follow-up the third blob film which i don't know i mean i may have seen it or if i do i don't really recall it it's not really a sequel to this one i mean it's a remake it's a remake so it's kind of the same premise but no no sense of connection like this here is a follow-up to the original blob i mean there is the ironic you know godfrey cambridge watching tv as he sips his beer and there's steve mcqueen in that kind of classic you know why don't you believe us type of scene so and, and this was the blob that was retrieved from the arctic after it had been dropped off at the end of the first movie so they basically scrap both of these and, and start from scratch uh were there any other i mean i know there there's variations on you know amorphous masses that consume humans you know, of some sort but uh those are there's basically just the three blob movies right okay yeah. so uh, I, I shot one in our backyard with the beanbag chair um, <laughs> okay. back back around 1988 when yeah, that remake yeah. was out it was on our radar we weren't old enough to see it um, but uh, I did have a poster that was given away at the local comic book store. Yeah. It was a full-on one sheet of the Blob remake poster, and uh, I was quite uh, fascinated with this poster because it has what appears to be a naked woman upside down devoured by the Blob, uh, and that's the central image, this upside-down female, you know, and then, and then the Blob, it says the Blob and all the, you know, m- credits under it at the bottom and uh i had that hanging up in my uh you know basement and and uh, we made our own blob movie with the beanbag chair and that and that movie guys culminated with we threw hurled this thing into the air and and then turned the camera off but it came down on a power cord 
you know, running from oh. the, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, running to the house and it landed on the power cord and thank goodness it didn't break the power cord. And once we got over <laughs> the, Oh my gosh of it all, we turned the camera back on and decided right there. And then that this is how the blob meets its fate. Oh, uh, electrified. Uh, yeah. Electrified. Right. Yeah. The blob <laughs> is electrified and you don't see it get hung up there because we didn't, we didn't have the camera running. It's, you know, it was a tragedy. It was a tragedy. Or, or did it meet its end? Hmm? Oh, Big well, question no. mark there. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't remember. I don't. So yeah. Leaving us, yeah. leaving the door open for a sequel. It's not yeah. too late, Jim. You know, you can always, right. I mean, they took 14 years between these two. You, you've got time <laughs> well, to go back. Honestly, that blob sequel, when I did see the blob remake, the 88 yeah. one, I, I, I liked it a lot. Um, it kind of fits into that late 80s. It's directed by Charles Russell, I think, who made The Nightmare on Elm Street 3, which is kind of the most accomplished visual effects-wise of The Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, it's like, um, it really pushes, you know, the, the that Nightmare on Elm Street 3, the slasher movie into this, you know, high-end effects thing, you know, where mm-hmm. everything's very practical and, you know, it, it's cool. Um, and, and the Blob 88 is the same way. Um, it's very effects driven, this very, you know, old school visual effects movie. And, um, and, and I, his I, emphasis on, on the gore and the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Gruesomeness it's, it's, of it. I mean, which was right. kind of a new taboo or yes. new standard. The taboos had been shed and they could yeah. kind of go there. Whereas these original films could only sort of. Hint yeah. That, whereas the, know. in 88, the blob had you know, dissolving human skeletons inside of it and rotting, you know, it was gross. And they just (laughs) gleefully went with all of that. Yeah. 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 So, you know, that one, uh, I don't know. I, I, again, I haven't seen it since probably back then, but it may be the best of the bunch. It's hard to say. I'm not as big a fan of that, of that remake, but I I, largely, because I think the last act kind of falls into the sort of eighties, the army, runs around and we get flashing lights etc cetera, etc cetera. but probably i would generally say it's the best of the three the the original blob is kind of is kind of cool but it, it's not a very yeah it, yeah it's, it's not a very yeah good movie. it's more of a cultural no. touchstone and steve mcqueen and you know a kind of a, a the a, the first opening a gambit of a of a, a fairly famous um, indie filmmaker of its of his time, you know Jack Harris and, and all of that. So yeah, it's, it's got that kitschy, schlocky charm, but it's not a great film under oh, any I, circumstances. I, I was collecting DVDs, you know, pretty you know aggressively when when Criterion announced that they were going to put out the Blob way mm-hmm. back when. Yeah, and it generated some uh, uh, you know negative feedback as you can imagine <laughs> yeah uh, and yeah. uh uh you know people were like what you know they have to put this on the shelf next to my fellini movies or whatever you know right right <laughs> i was all about the you know deconstruction of high art and low art uh mm-hmm, and thought mm-hmm. no guys look this you know <laughs> it's all good see it's an important contemporary what's the tagline the criterion yeah, uses classic and contemporary films important is, is yeah, the yeah, there, yeah you there you go there you go so yeah. yeah it it makes the cut in that sense whereas perhaps this doesn't 
Well, you I know, never, I never thought I'd be discussing the beware the blob on the Criterion podcast. <laughs> well, you know, to me, this this has resonance because I was a kid at this time, and I have a lot of fondness and affection for the period, the sensibility, learning about who all was involved in the making of this film, and even the circumstances of how it came together. You know, a bunch of neighbors uh, living on the strip in Malibu, you know, got together over a few weekends and and cobbled together uh, kind of an improv comedy horror flick. Well, okay, that's kind of fun. But yeah, if you're a younger viewer or somebody who's seriously like into classic horror or science fiction, I don't know that this is going to be worth the time of day. And there's there's a lot of negative reviews. Uh, I don't, don't know I put too many of them in the show notes, but there's definitely a lot of you know, contempt and dismiss, dismissal of this film out there. And and probably from a certain perspective, very well deserved. I mean, this is kind of an exploitation move, if you will. And Richard, you know, you had posted on one of your Facebook uh, movie reviews, your interest in exploitation cinema. I want to give you a chance to kind of elaborate on that a little bit, because, you know, exploitation isn't always about blood and guts and, you know, the, the extremities. It's, it's, taking advantage of people's appetites, desires, interests. So go ahead and pick it up from there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the notion of an exploitation film is a film that's, you know, taking something that people are really fascinated with and or really interested in exploiting that to sell the movie, right? And part of my fascination with it is I think you learn a lot about people from what you end up getting in exploitation films. They yeah. show you, you know, this is sort of like condensed version of what people people's interests are and what what counts as entertainment um this is a bad example of one (laughs) (laughs) well i think it's exploiting the the need or the interest in shallow entertainment that's just a little bit bizarro a little bit outrageous like what are they going to come up with next you know um yeah. These are the, the effects are not trying to look realistic or convincing. It's just like, how stupid can this get, you know, or how, how, you know, how, in how unbelievable will they make it that, you know, we're supposed to somehow go along with it. You know? Well, here's how much the blob at the end is frozen solid on the ice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then the media shows up and it's like, well, we're going to interview the heroes of this story. And of course the, 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 the sheriff the there. sheriff steps up to take full credit do his and, little and john we, wayne speech and all yeah, of that. yeah and know. where do they decide to film it but standing out on standing on the frozen blob they make their way out there into this this slope looks like you know what paper mache i don't know yeah, yeah. They, they get out there to the middle of this thing and the guy begins making you know, his, his speech about how he saved the day and this is, you know, whatever it is, all his, one of his civilizations defining moments or whatever. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and they're out there filming it on the blob, which, you know, okay, this is the stupidest decision ever in the history of humanity to yeah. go back in there for any reason whatsoever, you know, but yet they do. And, and of course, the thing that, you know, the, the question marked ending that you mentioned is triggered by the light, the hot, the hot TV camera light that they set down on one of the stalagmites of the yeah. blob. And then this, this blowhard <laughs> cop is about to it get melts, his, you know. <laughs> it melts the thing. Well, the cop, I mean, apparently everybody there, the TV crew, uh, you know, Robert Walker Jr., uh, the girl, uh, Gwen Oh, darn it. Clifford. Yeah. And, and, Clifford. uh, the, the boy scout who wanders in there, uh, yeah, his lighter bag. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're all dead meat, right? I mean, it's, they're not in that blob 88. No. No, nope. uh, let your imagination run away with you. What the gruesome end <laughs> was in and, store for them. Yeah, yeah. It's all right. Well, before we started recording, I said that we should probably make this a fairly brief episode. I don't want to impose too much on our listeners' uh, time or commitment. So I think this is probably a, a fair point to start wrapping it up. Uh, Richard, you got any last uh, zingers for us as far as your estimation of this film or any pieces that we forgot to mention? It probably sounds like I like this more than I do, given the way I'm going <laughs> yeah. on about this. I think my problem with this is largely that the the moments that are amusing are like about one percent of what's on the screen. <laughs> yeah, and and that they could have maybe just worked a little bit harder to give us something a little bit more, you know, worthwhile. I, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it's a mixed bag for sure. Uh, I definitely won't won't uh, you know put anybody down for, for this one. Yeah, no, I'm not I'm certainly not gonna, you know, die on that hill or 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 uh you know, stake my reputation on it. I, I found I found a few bits to uh you know definitely amuse me, but it's it's as much uh, subjective personal nostalgia as anything else. Jim, how about you? What's your bottom line here? Well again, I had a ton of fun with this both times. Yeah. Uh, twenty sixteen for my review and then again uh, last night and watching and it with your kids and, and a watching social it with setting, my kids, which that is by kind the way, of the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've got, I've got four kids and the two oldest ones are the ones who were still awake for this yeah. last night. <laughs> um, uh, but, but interestingly, uh, my other son who's 11 now, um, I guess he was five or six back at the time of when the Blu-ray came out and I was reviewing it then. Um, I didn't realize he'd seen any of it, but just like within the past year, he's telling me about this nightmare he had and he's just, and he gets to describing this red thing that's coming into this, this bowling alley. And, and it's this movie. Wow. And, and, and he's, he's had, he's like, no, we watched this. We watched this. And you know, he's this small child. Sneaking around the corner when dad thought he was asleep. Well, (laughs) see, I never made a big point of locking them out of of a movie like this. You know, I, 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 kind of knew that in fact it may have been when i was watching the commentary track okay. uh, back then so anyhow uh yeah he you know it made an impression with the old six-year-old i know that um yeah. not a good impression but uh, nightmare fuel you know, as they say nightmare right? fuel oh my gosh this movie's so scary so scary <laughs> terrifying yeah all right throttled the directorial career of larry hagman and the acting career of larry norman uh, well, hey, yeah, yeah, they both they did fine. Uh, I don't think yeah, Larry Hagman. Prob- I mean, he did a little bit of TV directing. This is his only theatrical feature, but yeah, yeah, he he was pretty gainfully employed all the way through the remainder of his life there. So he probably scratched that itch and was fine to hand over the reins to other people to to work behind the camera while yeah. he did his thing as Jr. and and in other roles. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and close things down here. Uh, Richard, I know I always ask you, uh, anything special going on these days? I, I do appreciate your thoughts about exploitation, though. That was a that was a good post. You you did it. You made those comments in a review of, what is it, Do You Believe, which was a yeah, Christian religious. movie, right? Yeah. yeah. Religious, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so very good. So, uh, Jim, I want to ask you a little bit about Zeke Film. I mean, that's a website that uh, – 
you know, I've contributed a few things yes. too, and I've got more projects on the way. Yeah, uh, but yeah. for listeners who maybe are not familiar with Zeke Film, tell us a little bit about that uh, website. Well, this is something that about 10 years ago, we're celebrating our 10 year anniversary. Uh, about 10 years ago, uh, myself and a few others thought of this notion of, you know, what if we could foster, you know, community, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, because cinema loving is a community. Uh, sometimes it's a prickly community, but, you know, people together online and in person talking about movies, experiencing movies together. That was the vision. Uh, what we've got is, you know, uh, a website and, you know, especially with the pandemic and all the whole in-person gatherings and movie chats and stuff like that, that we envisioned haven't happened as much, but what, you know, I'm a film critic. Uh, I've worn a lot of hats in the movie business over the years, but film critic is my favorite. And, uh, and so uh, I started posting my reviews there and it kind of morphed into another review site. And I know the internet doesn't need that, but that's what we have to offer. And hopefully uh, people enjoy the, the reviews and the other content that comes up sporadically on Zeke film. I'm always happy to entertain the notion of more contributors, be it uh, through writing or, you know, other means, uh, you know, open to, you know, hosting video reviews or whatever, you know, all of it is, is on the table. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, you know, mostly right now we just post written reviews. Um, you know, it's a labor of love. It's all voluntary, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, just yesterday I posted this magnum opus of nonsense, uh, uh, indicator Blu-ray box set of uh, three sex comedies from the 1970s by Stanley Long. So that's a 3000 word uh, <laughs> effort, which frankly, I had a ton of fun writing. It, yeah. More fun writing it than watching it. <laughs> I how, like discussing, how it goes sometimes, yes. Yeah, discussing blob with you fellas. You know, we're having to have more fun yeah. doing it, doing this than yep. uh, so, you know those who suffer through it, like Richard suffered through it. Well, I do enjoy Zeke film, and I yeah, I've met some nice folks. Uh, we've got a little Facebook contributors group there, and I and I like yeah. the mix of films. It's a kind of a very eclectic, uh, you know, a lot of emphasis on stuff that Kino puts out. You know, they're very kind to send us review copies, yeah. and and uh, you know, co- of course, Kino does a phenomenal job of just covering so many different genres and different styles. I mean, this here, Beware the Blob, is a Kino Studio Classics disc. Studio Classics. The, How about that? One of the earlier ones. Yeah, they, they, uh, you know, the Studio Classics uh, name is something that they they wield very, very loosely. liberally. Yeah, very loosely. Yeah, yeah. It it's means a catalog title, right? Exactly. Anything they can put out there, and and this was one of the earliest ones uh, within the first year or two, I think, of the Studio Classics brand. Which, okay. of course, now there's there's hundreds, if not thousands of releases because that's one reason why zeke film has so many kino titles is because uh they you put know, so much out we, every there's month. so much yeah, yeah there's yeah. i mean that brand alone uh is is plenty you know and i you know we can't keep up with it all frankly no 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 not at all so we try <laughs> all right well so, well we've done a good job keeping up here with the blob it's uh, hopefully been an enjoyable conversation for folks to tune into and uh you know share your thoughts i definitely have been enjoying in a certain sense this this run through genre films uh that we've been looking at a lot of them uh affiliated with criterion through the criterion channel which 
of course, is a much more eclectic collection of films than what they put out on the actual discs that were criterions established its reputation and so and so speaking of that the, the next one we're going to be talking about is some euro trash pot boiler fry some guy named reiner Werner fassbinder <laughs> we're going to be talking about the bitter tears of petra von kant so uh we've got a pretty good lineup some voices who've been on the uh, show in the past richard i know you're going to be taking a break from this one because we've got a lot of other people lined up so we'll see you next time around but yeah we're going to be getting back to a, a, a legitimate criterion spine number little Fassbinder as he's moving into his melodrama phase there and i'm looking forward to uh kind of catching catching up with uh what you might consider more of a mainstream criterion type of release but yeah going through black exploitation kung fu with the bruce lee film uh, way of the dragon the the zpg uh the science fiction stuff so oh. yeah all all of the things that have been happening in these uh in the the spring of 1972 here we are 50 years later keeping some of these little obscure nuggets up and alive in the popular discourse <laughs> all right so thank you for tuning in everybody richard and jim it's been fun having you together and uh hearing your thoughts on this uh, most remarkable memorable unforgettable film so until next time we'll talk to you soon Good night and bye-bye.